Praise the Lord. Thank you so much, brother. I love that song. How many of you realize tonight that every breath that we've been given is a gift from God? The breath that you're breathing in this moment is his gift to you. And the, and the Bible says we're really not promised the next one. So with the breath that we have right now, let's praise the Lord. Amen. With everything we've got, it's his breath in our lungs. I love that song. Thank you so much for it. If you have your Bibles tonight, I want to ask you to turn your copy of the Word of God back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And um, this evening, it's my plan to, uh, to finish up with 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And Lord willing, we're going to do so. Now, I know that I've been telling you a story for the last month because for the last month, I've been saying we're going to finish up with 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Uh, but, you know, I don't think there's any need in getting in a hurry. Amen. Um, I love what Dr. J. Vernon McGee always said. He said that when we're studying the Word of God, what we need to do is just chew it till we get all the juice out of it. And I'm still not sure that we're, we've chewed it enough to get all the juice out of it. Uh, but I want to do my best to finish up with 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to move on uh, to something else last week. But I myself have been blessed by the truth we've received right here from the precious Word of God. How about you? Man, God's Word is good. God's Word is life. God's Word is a promise that you can hold on to. And listen, it's a truth that you can build your life on, and you should build your life on, and I'm so thankful for it. So if you have your place there in 1 Corinthians 15, put a marker there and turn with me real quick to 1 John chapter number 3, and I want to share with you one verse of Scripture before we get started, and it's all going to come together as we look at all of this. But 1 John chapter number 3, a very powerful verse, verse number 2. Everybody look there with me. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 2. Now listen, listen to what John tells us. Beloved, now we are, now are we the sons of God, and it doeth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. This absolutely blows me away. Every time I read this verse, let me tell you what the Bible is promising you here. If you are a blood-bought, born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've been born again into God's family, if you're a Christ follower, the Bible is promising to you and to me that one day we will be like Jesus. Now think about that. Let that roll around upstairs just a minute. We are going to be like him. I can't even fathom what all that means, but I'm so very thankful that I've got the opportunity and the great privilege of being a part of it. And I want to tell you, if you're here tonight and you've placed faith in Christ, this is a promise made to you. And if you're here tonight and you have not yet placed faith in Jesus, I want you to know that he's still in the saving business. And this promise that he's made to believers in 1 John 3 and 2, listen, you can claim when you yourself become a believer. It's available to all. The Bible says we shall be like him. And that amazes me. I'm so thankful for that. I've told you before and I'm going to keep telling you, I feel very sorry for those who don't know Jesus. For people who don't know Jesus, all they have to look forward to is what they have and what they can gain in this world. And the truth is that ain't much because all we have in this world is temporal. It's here for a moment, then it is going to vanish away. It's going to be no more. I'm thankful for the promise we have in the Word of God as the people of God. We have something eternal to look forward to. We have a future, praise God. We have, listen to me now, we have a destiny that is ours in Christ. And folks, that is something that we are to keep praising Jesus for from now throughout eternity. 
There's an old uh, song that they used to sing uh, back in the 80s, really, that, that talked about my future's so bright, i got to wear shades. Well, folks, let me tell you something. I, I'm going to need more than shades because my future is that I am going to be like Jesus. That's pretty bright, isn't it? We have a blessed promise. We have a truth that we find right here in the Word of God that applies to absolutely every blood-bought, born-again believer. We shall be like Him. Now, the truth is, the process of us becoming like him, being like Jesus, is just that. It's a process. But let me ask you a question. When does that process begin? Sometimes I think people actually believe that that process of becoming like Jesus actually happens when we get to heaven. Oh, listen to me, folks. That's certainly going to culminate in heaven. That's going to come to fruition in heaven. But I want you to understand and know the process of us becoming like Jesus doesn't start when we get to heaven. The process of us becoming like Jesus starts at the moment we are converted by the power of the Holy Spirit. The very moment that we place faith in Christ, the Bible teaches we are born again into the family of God. And look with me what the, what the scripture says in 1 Peter chapter number 2, brother, and verse number, number 2. 1 Peter 2 and 2. Listen how Peter puts this. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word for what purpose? That ye may grow thereby. So really what Peter is saying and what Paul has already said that we've studied in the book of 1 Corinthians, that as newborn babes in Christ... We are to desire the sincere milk of the word so that we can grow in our faith. That is how the process begins. We are born again as newborn babes, and then the process of growth takes place. Another good verse is Romans chapter 8 and verse number 30. The Bible says, for whom he did, he, he chose, he justified. And for those he justified, he also sanctified. And for those he sanctified, he also glorified. So let's look at that just a moment. Let's break that down. It says that Jesus, listen, when we are saved, he justifies us. That means, listen to me now, the righteousness of Christ is imputed unto us or put on our account when we place faith in Jesus. And now when God the Father looks at us, he no longer sees us as being in our sins, but he sees us as being washed in the blood of his Son. And all of that happened by grace through faith in who Christ is and what he's done for us. Every bit of it. We are justified, praise the Lord, before God the Father because of the finished work of Jesus. But he didn't stop there. He says, then you are sanctified. Amen. The word sanctified means to be set apart, cleaned up and set apart for the purpose of God. And that happens, uh, that, begin, that process begins at the moment of salvation as well. It, God begins the process of sanctifying us, cleaning us up and setting us apart for his purpose. You've heard me say before, folks, I'm going to keep saying it, God loves you right where you are, whoever you are, whatever you've done. Wherever you find yourself in whatever walk of life, I can promise you God loves you. But let me tell you something. He loves you too much and he loves me too much to leave us where he finds us. When he saves us, guess what happens? He begins the process of cleaning us up. 
And I've seen that over and over and over and over and over again. It's continually still happening in my life where God the Holy Spirit will begin putting his finger on things in my life and saying, that's got to change, and that's got to change, and this over here's got to change. Let me tell you why. Because God can't use me like he wants to use me. His purpose cannot be fulfilled in me until those things that he's not pleased with begins to change in my life. That's the process of sanctification. And so the Bible says we are being sanctified, but then he says something else. He says, then he also justified. Now, if you notice the word justified and the word sanctified and the word justified, glorified, all three of those words are all in the past tense. That amazes me. Let me tell you why. Our salvation in Christ is so secure that God already knows and sees what we will become. That's why 1 John 3 and 2 can say, we shall be like him. God already knows what we will be. <laughs> it's already a done deal. How many of you are thankful for that? He who hath begun the good work in us will perform it under the day of redemption. Jesus is not just the author, but he's the finisher. And so God says, you're already glorified in my eyes, but the process for us continues. We are justified immediately at the moment of salvation in our spirit. Can you say amen? We are made alive to the things of God. Now listen to me now. We are then sanctified progressively within our soul. And our soul is how we interact with one another. And so in our soul we are continually being sanctified. But how many of you know, listen to me now, there's coming a time when we'll be completely glorified in our body. And that's what it means in 1 John 3 and 2 when it says there's coming a time when I will be like him. The process that started at conversion, God will complete in his presence in heaven and through the resurrection. Now, Paul gives us just a little glimpse of that in 1 Corinthians 15. And tonight I want us to look at it. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to start there in verse number 35. I want to give you three points this evening. First of all, I want to give you the problem with the resurrection. Then we're going to talk about the perfection of the resurrection. And then we're going to talk about, Lord willing, the pattern of the resurrection. All right? So look at, let's look at verse 35. Look what is said. But some will say... How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? And Paul says, Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. So what he's saying is there's a lot of people that he was preaching to there in Corinth that couldn't believe the resurrection was actually going to take place. Let me tell you why. Because the, in, in Corinth, these were Greeks, and the Greeks were very philosophical, and they were very reasonable, and they were very logical, and they tried to reason and, 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 and logically explain everything. And so Paul says, listen to me now, uh, you, 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 your head's getting in the way, amen? And, and you're really missing the whole point here because some of them will say it, the 
resurrection is impossible. They had a problem with it. Now, some people still have a problem with it, and I can understand that. Let me tell you why. Because we know what happens to the body when we die. What does happen? Well, what happens is this body that we walk around in, our earthly house, will go back to the dust from whence it came. Heard a story one time about a man named Pease. P-E-A-S. Listen what they wrote on Mr. P's, his tombstone whenever he died. He was a believer, and this is what he put on there. This ain't P's, it's just the pod. P shelled out and went to God. <laughs> That's exactly what happens for every believer. See, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 8 that for the Christ follower to be absent from this body is to be where? present with the Lord. Yes, that's the promise we have. Let me tell you something. There is no such thing as soul sleep in the grave. The Bible does not teach that. Let me tell you something else. When you die as a believer, you do not go to purgatory for there is no such thing as purgatory. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches for the believer when you die you are then present with the Lord. Now, are we present in spirit or in body? In spirit. Why? Because the body goes where? Back to the dust. Now, for the unbeliever, you don't go to purgatory either. The Bible says when you die, you're going to go to one of two places. Either you're going to go to heaven, and that's for those who have trusted in Jesus as their Savior, or if you have rejected Christ while here on earth, at the moment you die, the Bible says you go to hell. If you don't believe me, see Luke 16. Jesus spoke a whole parable about it. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus. So I want you to know, listen to me, when we die, we go to be with the Lord. But that opens up a whole lot of questions. Well, then the body that turns to dust, how is it ever going to come back together? You ever thought about it? The elements and the molecules that make up our body will go back to the dust, and then the dust is what's going to bring forth new life in the form of plants, trees, grass, whatever. So those molecules, those elements are spread out everywhere. How is it possible that our bodies will be resurrected? I love Dr. Warren Wiersbe. Dr. Warren Wiersbe, he says something here that, um, that, that really helped me, and I hope and pray that it will help you. Paul is teaching here not reconstruction, but resurrection. And there's a difference. Listen how he puts it. Our resurrected bodies will be ours, but that not the same as it has been. And he says this. He says, there will be continuity in the resurrected body. It is our body, but there is no identity. It is not the same body. I love that. I love that. Now listen to me. Then Paul gives us three illustrations of how that's possible. Okay? Let's look at it. Let's start in verse number 37. He gives us the illustration of the seed. Watch how he puts it. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not the body uh, sh uh, that shall be, but bear again. 
It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. Look at verse 38. Watch. But God giveth the body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed, watch this now, his own body. Now, what he's saying is, when you plant a seed, how many know for that seed to bring forth new life, it has to die? Jesus said the same thing in the book of John chapter 12 and verse number 23. When he's telling his disciples that he's about to go down a cross and he'll be put in a grave, he tells them, unless the seed of corn fall into the ground and die, it can't bring forth new life. Now, the picture he's painting is the picture of his resurrection that will in turn bring about our resurrection. Remember, he's the first fruit and we are the harvest. Do you remember us talking about that? Jesus said that seed has to die Go into the ground before new life can spring up. Now, how many of you know there is continuity with the seed, but not identity? Now, what I mean by that? If I plant a tomato seed, and it goes in the ground and dies and springs forth into new life, I'm not expecting to get a bunch of seeds. What am I expecting to get? A bunch of tomatoes. How many of you know I'd rather have a bunch of tomatoes than a lot of seeds? Tomatoes are better. And the good news is, I'll get more tomatoes than the seeds I planted. There's more of it, and it's better with the new life that is produced. The same is true for our resurrected body. There will be continuity. It will be our body, just like the seed brings forth the tomato. Now look, I don't, I don't plant tomatoes and expect to get corn. Why? Why? Because there's continuity with the seed. That which is put in the ground will produce tomatoes if I plant tomato seed. So there's continuity with our resurrected bodies. Listen, it will be my body and it will be your body, but it's not going to be like that old seed. It's going to be fruit that springs into everlasting life. Them good tomatoes. Are you getting what I'm saying? So I love how Dr. Wearsby says that. He's not teaching reconstruction, but resurrection. A new body. Ours, yes. But a new body that will be used for the glory of God. And we will be like him. Man, that's amazing. Watch. He not only says it's like a seed, but he also says it's like fleshly bodies. Look at verse number 39. I love this verse. Look what it tells us. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. Paul here is telling us that the cell structure of flesh is different depending on what type of flesh you have. Now let me ask you a question. How in the world did Paul know this when he didn't have a microscope? He didn't have one then. They didn't know what a cell looked like then. But by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul says there's different types of flesh. You got human flesh, and you got bird flesh, and you got fish flesh, and you got beast flesh. That's what he says. How did he know it? He didn't have a biology textbook, did he? He didn't have a microscope. But what he did have was the indwelling Spirit of God. 
And God gave him exactly what we needed. What I am so pleased to find out the more I study the Word of God is this. It has took so long for the advancement in technology and, and that, that, that actually helped science. It took so long for that to catch up with God's Word. But it's finally doing it. Finally. Now we've got microscopes and we can look at the cell and we can test the cell and we can work on the cell. We can do all kind of things with the cell. And we know more about the cell than we've ever known. Paul had none of that, but he knew that the cell structure was different. Amen? Now his point is this. Let's get back to the resurrection. His point is, if God can make different flesh for humans and different flesh for fish and different flesh for birds and different flesh for beasts, if God can make different flesh for all of these things, then it's not a problem for God to make different flesh for you when your body is resurrected anew. Are you getting me? Then he says, not only... Does he give the example of the seed and the example of flesh? But he also gives the example of celestial bodies or bodies that are in the heavenlies. Let's look at verse number 40. Watch what he says. And there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Now he's talking about heavenly bodies and things that are upon earth, terrestrial bodies. Celestial and terrestrial. And he goes on and says in verse 41, There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. But for one star differeth from another uh, star in glory. So, so what he's saying is, if God is able to make different flesh on earth, but God is also able to make different bodies in heaven, there's a difference in the moon, can you say amen, and the sun. There's a difference in the moon and the stars. And God made all of these things by his creative power different. And if God can do that in the heavenlies, then it's no problem for him to give you a different resurrected body. So really what Paul is telling them and telling us tonight, those who had a problem with the resurrection, and they're asking the question, how can this be? How can God do this? How can the resurrection ever happen? He's saying to them, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Isn't that what the angel told Mary? You remember? Mary said, well, there's no way I'm going to have a son because I've never known a man. I'm still a virgin. And the angel says to Mary, Mary, what's impossible with man is possible with God. The same is true for the resurrected body. Amen. So the problem with the body is solved because of who God is and what God is able to do and what God has promised. But not only do I want you to see the problem that is addressed, but also see the perfection of the resurrected body. Let's look there in verse number 42. He says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. I love this verse. He says that, our fleshly bodies, what we have now, is sown in corruption. Corruption is decay. Now, let me tell you what's happening to you and happening to me right now. We're corrupting. We are decaying, even as we speak. I was told just the other day, every three weeks, the outer layer of our skin is completely replaced. I didn't know that. You know what that means? Skin cells are dying by them every moment 
And by the creative power of God, they are being replaced just like they need to be. And that's happening without our knowledge. But that is just proof that we are corrupting. We are decaying. There's other proof too. Anybody that's over 40, you know. <laughs> there's, some, there's some proof of decay, right? I, just the other day, my wife come in on a Friday evening and she, she eats a banana and a spoon of peanut butter about every morning for breakfast. That's her thing. And she brought in a big bunch of banana on, bananas on a Friday. And those, those bananas that she brought in were just as bright and yellow and shiny. I mean, they looked so good. And I walked, and they were sitting on our kitchen counter, and I saw them sitting there. They looked good sitting there. And then I come back through Sunday morning, and guess what had happened? Those bananas that were bright and yellow and shiny and looked so good were now brown and had spots all over them and smelled a little bit. Let me tell you why. Corruption decay we are decaying we are corrupting and let me tell you something we can put cream on it we can lift it we can stretch it we can work it out you can do all that but all of us are corrupting I've come to find out man I, I get more tired than I used to get I never used to get tired I mean I, I could work all day and play all night I could do whatever I, I, there was nothing that, that really hindered me as far as ever getting tired. Now, I was just telling my daughter a while ago, her and her mama stayed up to 3 o'clock in the morning last night talking. I said, baby, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. Your mama was so excited this morning that you spent time with her and talked to her like you did, and that's great. I'm glad you was able to do that. I'll be glad to talk to you as long as before 9.30. <laughs> I'm out. That's about all I can take anymore, man. I can't stay up no 3 o'clock and still get up in the morning. It's tough on me. Why? Corruption. Decay. And, and the picture here is that that has always happened with man. Let, let, let me say something to you while I'm here. The world teaches and believes that we are evolving. I do not believe we are evolving. I believe we are devolving. I do. First of all, I tell you that because God's word teaches that. We began our de-evolution at the moment Adam sinned in the garden. And God said, when you disobey me, you're going to die, Adam. And he died spiritually. And then later on, he died physically. Now, we think we have seen man, but we really haven't. What we have seen is man marred by sin. This last week we had a train derailment. Been all over the news up in Ohio. Please pray for those people. Man, that breaks my heart when I see what they're going through. A lot of people's homes and lives were absolutely ruined by that. It's terrible. Can't even drink the water. Can't go home. Have been without a home for a week now. But I looked on the television screen and I seen that that uh, train just all mangled there on the side of the tracks. Now, let's just say that I had never saw a train before, and somebody says, well, that's a train. Well, it kind of is. It's a train that's been wrecked, not a train on the track. See, what I see before me and what you see before you is a train wreck. <laughs> 
not the real train. Adam was the real train. And, devil, and the devil and sin caused the train wreck. And now we've got the problems that we've got. See, I think Adam was way up here, and we've been devolving ever since. I think the capability of Adam was far greater than the capability of us today. Matter of fact, people say we're getting so much smarter. Do you really think so? I saw just the other day some kids eating Tide Pods. Are you hearing me? Tide Pods. We're having to put warning labels on Tide Pods because people are eating it. Go back and read some of the authors from the 18th century. A lot of the people that I love reading as far as commentaries and theology are people like Matthew Henry and Charles Spurgeon. They wrote all the way back in the mid to late 1800s, and I'm telling you something, them brothers could do some writing. I don't think we're evolving. I, I believe we're devolving in every way. We are corrupted. And it's not getting better, folks. It's getting worse. Look around you. We've got to the point where we can't even tell the difference between a man and a woman. We're devolving in every way. Physically, mentally, emotionally, morally. Devolution, not evolution. I want you to know, listen to me now. The, the hope of every believer is this body that is corrupted will be raised in incorruption. This which is sinful will be raised in perfection. For we shall be like him. It's amazing. Not only does he say that we'll be sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, but in verse 43, he says we're sown in weakness or we're planted in weakness, but we're raised again in power. Look at this. Sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Do you realize how weak we are? I think, I know, that God hates a prideful spirit. Matter of fact, it's one of the seven things he hates. He said he hates a proud look. A proud look in the eyes reveals a proud heart. God says, I hate that. Let me tell you why. Because we boast what we cannot do. We're so proud of who we are and what we've accomplished and what we've done. But the truth is, we are weak. We really are. Let me tell you how weak we are. Just a few years ago, a virus shut down the technology of man. Shut down the financial capability of man. In a lot of ways, completely closed out the freedom of man. Let me tell you why? Because we're weak. We boast of being so strong, but we're not. We're weak mentally, physically, and emotionally. The truth is, 
We need a Savior. We're weak. Peter says it like this. He says, all flesh is as grass. You know what grass will do, don't you? I think about kudzu when I read that verse. You ever see kudzu in the summertime? It's everywhere, and it will cover up everything. It will absolutely take over something. If you don't, you just give it a week or two when that sun, when the, when the sun comes up and the, and the temperature gets over 60, 70 degrees, man, that kudzu will start sprouting up and it will take over the world if you let it. But guess what happens? The moment the first frost hits, that stuff will wilt and die just like that. It boasts of its strength as it comes over cars and houses and I deal with road signs, and I have to cut kudzu off road signs all the time. And it boasts how strong it is, and just takes over everything. And the moment the weather drops just a little bit, just like that, it's dead. And Paul and Peter says, all flesh is just like grass. We're weak. You being everybody else. Because we're weak, we need God's help. Now, this is the hope of the believer. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. Do you know there's going to come a time when I'll no longer be weak? I'll no longer be weak physically. I'll no longer be weak mentally. I, I never preach a sermon that I'm pleased with. Let me tell you why. I'm weak mentally. Some of y'all may think I'm a little bit slow out of the gate. Let me tell you something. You don't know the half of it. Some of you may think I struggle. Let me tell you, you don't know the half of it. I'm weak. In this flesh, we've all got weakness. But the hope is this. Because of Jesus, one day that which is sown in weakness will be raised in power. Amen? Watch what else. Not only does he say it's sown in weakness and raised in power, but I love this one. He says it's sown as a natural body, verse 44, and it's raised up as a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Everybody say spiritual body. Now, it doesn't say spirit body. There's a difference. A lot of people completely discount, I don't even want to say physical resurrection because that's really not what it is. But a lot of people discount the resurrection and say we won't actually have bodies but we'll be a spirit. No, that wasn't what Jesus was. Remember, he's the first fruit and then we are what? What'd you say, brother? We are the harvest. Amen? So if Jesus had a real body that he could do stuff with, then we too will have a real body. But it won't be a natural body. It'll be a spiritual body. And that's so much better. So much better. Now, before I go any further with that, let's go ahead and look at what the Bible teaches here not only do I want you to see the problem of the resurrection and the perfection of the resurrection, it won't be just a, a, a natural body but a spiritual body, but I also want you to see, now listen to me, the pattern of the resurrection. Look at verse 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul, and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Who's the first Adam? Adam, the one back in the garden. Who's the last Adam? Jesus, who was the quickening spirit, the life-giving spirit. Can you say amen? Now watch what else. Howbeit, that, that was not first which is spiritual for that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. 
And the second man is the Lord of heaven. So he says the, the, the same picture that we see in Adam and Jesus is what happens with us. First we have Adam's body. We're all born in Adam naturally, physically. But then we are born again in who? In Jesus. And it's because of that new birth in Jesus that we will then receive our spiritual body. When will that happen? At the resurrection. Amen? Remember now, we're automatically justified in the spirit at the moment of conversion. We're progressively sanctified in our soul. And then there's coming a time when we'll be glorified with a new body just like he is. That's happening in heaven when we get there. So the, the picture's the same with Adam, with Jesus, with us. And he goes on and says this. This is the pattern. Watch what he says. Verse 48. And as, the, and is, as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Can you say amen? We've had the image of Adam for a long time. Or kind of Adam. He's the train, we're the train wreck. Right? Get me? But he says, then we're, we're looking forward to when we'll bear the image of the heavenly, we'll bear the image of Jesus. We will be like him. There's a good verse here that I want you to put in your margin. Philippians 3.21 says that this vile body will be changed and we'll have a new body. Praise the Lord for that. Verse 50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doeth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So what he's saying is, we're going to get a new body. Just like Jesus, a glorified body. Now, what is that going to be like? A lot of people ask me, say, Brother, what, what does it mean? How old are we going to be in heaven? Are we going to have to eat in heaven? I hope so. <laughs> well, there will be a marriage supper of the Lamb. I know that. Now, whether we have to eat it, I don't know. Maybe eating in heaven will not be a have to, but a want to. And I'm all for that. If it's a want to, then it's just something I get to do for enjoyment. And I don't have to worry about the excess weight that I'll put on. Nor will you. I won't have to worry about high blood pressure. I won't have to worry about cholesterol. I don't have to worry about sugar diabetes. I won't have to worry about any of that. What would you say? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you have to worry about that either. I'm just, I'm just telling you. I'd, listen, we'll be at eat. What age will we be? What will we look like? I'm going, I can answer all of that with one question. I don't know. <laughs> Fully, I don't know. But we do have glimpses of what that body is going to look like, and those glimpses are shown to us through the resurrected body of Jesus. So what do we see with the resurrected body of Jesus? In the natural, that's where we are now, we're hindered by a lot of things. We're hindered by matter. But I see Jesus in his resurrected body, he wasn't hindered by matter. The Bible says that in, while the disciples were in the upper room, that the doors being shut, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them. He never opened the door. Are you hearing me? You say, well, brothers, well, that means he was a spirit. No, it doesn't, because right after that, he looked at Thomas, and he said, Thomas, I heard what you've been saying, man. 
You said you're going to have to stick your hands in the nail prints and in my side if you're going to believe. Well, here they are, buddy. Now, that's my translation. You go back and read it for yourself. So what that means is Thomas could have touched him. You can't touch a spirit. The resurrected body, the spiritual body, is not hindered by matter. Now, brother, you hindered by matter, and I am too. If you don't believe me, try to walk through that door. We can't do it. Jesus, we see other things that are just absolutely amazing. Right now, we're hindered by gravity in more ways than one. The Bible says in Acts chapter number 1, that when Jesus ascended to the Father, while he was standing there with his disciples, right up. He ascended right before their eyes. He was not hindered by gravity. Well, that's pretty cool. Does that mean I'm going to be able to in my body? I hope. I hope. I really love to fly. It'd be fantastic to do it without a plane. <laughs> Think about it. He did that. Jesus was not even hindered by space and time. If you remember, in one moment in the scripture, you see him outside the tomb. And then the very next moment, Many miles away, when he didn't have a car, he's seen again on the road to, to Emmaus, talking with some more disciples. He, he was not hindered by space and time. He was here one minute, he was there the next. Does that mean when we get our spiritual body? I don't know. But isn't it awesome to think about, to look forward to? It's more than just never being sick or never getting tired, even though that's a good thing, and never dying. All that's good stuff. There's more to it. I don't know what all we're going to be able to do, but I'll be like him, and you will be too. So then he says, verse 51, Behold, I'll show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That means that even if you're here when Jesus raptures his church, this flesh and blood will not enter heaven. We'll get a new spirit body too, whoever we are. I believe it'll be us. And then he says this, look, look at verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible and shall be changed. There it is, the resurrection. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Isn't that good? Verse 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then... Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We sing the song Victory in Jesus. That's, that's in my top three of favorite hymn songs. I love singing it because there's so much truth in it. We have victory, true victory, real victory. 
in Jesus. Victory over sin, victory over Satan, victory over self, victory over situations, victory over death, victory over the grave. Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Praise God, we got a future, ain't we? What we're doing means something. And it will echo throughout all eternity as we enjoy our new resurrected bodies. Praise the Lord. I'm so thankful for it. Blesses my soul. Take your white hymnal. Turn to page 407. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love and heal and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because he lives. And then one day I'll cross the river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. And then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living. Why? Because he lives, we live. Praise the Lord. Anybody got any comments or questions?